a statement from my father growing up was you win or lose by the way you choose. And I, and I think that again, that put ownership and accountability, put the responsibility on me as an individual, on me as a teenager, as a young person, that whatever came my way, it was really up to me and how I was going to choose to handle things. I, I love that and certainly spoke that into to our kids uh, as they were growing up. So those were both fun, fun statements, uh, values that rang through enough to find their way into to our parenting skills. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, I had a delightful conversation with a colleague and a friend of mine who I've known for many years, uh, Dr. Heidi Scott. Now, Heidi is the Chief Learning Officer for HR.com, but I've known her through different roles where she was a curriculum designer, her PhD is in leadership, uh, but interesting, we had a lot of conversations about how she really disliked high school and learning, yet she has her doctorate degree. And part of her calling is the fact is, is a lot of education where learning is boring. It sucks, pardon the phrase. And so her quest now with her role is to create uh, learning experiences that are exciting, that are transform individuals, but we also go through her journey of uh, her really working with different organizations over the years around leadership, coaching, and why those things are important. So uh, take a listen. It's, uh, she's just delightful. You know, when we think about your own development, and we mentioned this at the very end of the show, is that development takes time. Development is something that is a commitment that if you decided today that you're going to run a marathon and you worked out for 15 minutes this afternoon you will not be a marathoner uh, it takes time to be able to develop those skills well that is true for learning as well so just want to encourage you know CRG has several assessments but for the focus for today's show is you know knowing yourself is so critically important to moving forward with energy and with focus so i'm going to encourage the we have what what do you really value e-course which is based on the values preference indicator our second most popular tool so what would it mean if you could make the right decision every time and you had that opportunity to do it by knowing that you know that you know about what your core values are it is just a delightful and fun uh, workshop whenever I host it for others. So just a consideration for you. As always, we thank you for being a listener. If you like what we're doing, please share it, pass it on, leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're listening on. If you have some feedback about the shows, a potential uh, new guest for us, uh, then we'd love to hear from you as well and just uh, post some comments in whatever platform you're listening on. So. Here's our show with Dr. Heidi Scott. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today we have actually a colleague I'd like to call a friend. Maybe she'll correct me that she's not. Uh, who we've known here for a few years, has interacted with some of CRG's materials over the years, but now the Chief Learning Officer at one of our favorite organizations, HR.com. 
So welcome, Dr. Heidi Scott, to the show. Heidi, welcome. Thanks so much, Ken. It's great to be here. And yes, of course you are a friend. We're, we're <laughs> Oh, man, I didn't want to make any assumptions, but on air and being recorded, so I'm feeling much better as a result of that. So uh, Heidi, you know, we'll like what we'd like to do, you have a lot of expertise, your PhDs in leadership, you're helping HR.com with HR professionals in their job to help others to realize their potential, their performance, all these things. But before we get into that, we want to know, you know, who is Heidi Scott? So we're doing our recording. You're in Idaho. I'm in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, what's your story? I mean, what part of the country did you grow up in? Actually, I grew up in Spokane, Washington, of all places. So <clears throat> I'm just right across the border in North Idaho. And, uh, yeah, spent pretty much my whole life in this area. So for those that don't know, Spokane is eastern Washington. So is it about a five- or six-hour drive from Seattle? Well, it depends how fast you drive, Ken. I'm just kidding. I see. But something like that. <laughs> Four and a half, five hours. Yep. So with that, what was that kind of your family of growing up, like your parents? What did they do? Uh, my father was a, a realtor, and my mom was always a stay-at-home mom and uh, never worked outside of the home my entire life. And neither one of them went to college. So uh, them making sure that... that uh, the three kids, I have two older brothers, that all three of us were going to go to college. That was, that's how I grew up. I, I never uh, questioned if I would go to college. It was which one. Mm. And so I take my hat off to my parents for raising us with that mindset, even though they never had that opportunity. Now, you're the youngest of three, two older yeah. brothers. Yeah. So were, were your brothers thinking, oh, no, Heidi's always the princess? Uh, no, because I was uh, quite the tomboy and uh, was was per perhaps uh, more competitive and <laughs> and rough and tumble in some ways than than them and loved the outdoors and being dirty and so I was I was certainly not the uh, the prim and proper princess. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. And uh, your mom's favorite, of course. <laughs> I think. All of us are her favorites, yes. Well, man, you're so politically correct. It's so well. You just didn't want your brothers to listen to this show and just get offended, so I'm, I'm or, glad that you're Or know that I was lying. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm having fun and fun with the listeners, too. So when you think about some of the values that your parents instilled in you, uh, you know, beyond just the importance of developing yourself or education, what were some of the things that you really found valuable as an individual now that they instilled in you back then as a teenager? Yeah, well, I was even as a young person, I remember very clearly, probably kindergarten, first grade, and of course my mother said this many times throughout my life, but as I went off to school and she would always say, now remember, if you want a friend, you got to be a friend, and I think that's so true as an adult. And if you, if you want a good business partner, then be a good business partner. If you want great colleagues, then be a great colleague. So I think that that mindset from my mother uh, rang true and, and still does today. A statement from my father growing up was, you win or lose by the way you choose. And I, and I think that, again, that put ownership and accountability, put the responsibility on me as an individual, on me as a teenager, as a young person, that 
whatever came my way, it was really up to me and how I was going to choose to handle things, um, whether it was going to be a, a catastrophic loss or something that you were going to navigate through and come out the other side better. Mm. So that win or lose, you, you win or lose by the way you choose. I, I love that and certainly spoke that into to our kids uh, as they were growing up. So those were both fun, fun statements, uh, values that rang through enough to find their way into to our parenting skills. Mm. Well, certainly today, and of course, you and you and I have had off-air conversations before too. Is just the importance of taking personal responsibility, and uh, rather than the blame culture that sometimes goes out there and the victim mentality. So it's really the opposite. So, with that, uh, you were finishing high school. What did you decide to take in your first part of college? Yeah, I decided I was going to be a teacher, not because I thought teaching was great but because I found school to be utterly boring and uh, grew up thinking that actually my mother says she remembers me coming home in about the fourth grade and I remember telling her mom I counted up all the hours and the minutes that I was actually taught anything and I really only need to go to school for four hours and 15 minutes a day. <laughs> and I said because everything else was lining up standing waiting for people to be quiet it was, it was not, I, I think I, I don't think I need to go to school all that time. It's, it's, it's a waste. Well, even back then you were an actuary. I guess so. so. I guess so. Or just a, a priority management and, and standing in line wasn't, uh, wasn't high on my list. Mm. And my mom has now said, boy, if, if homeschooling was a thing back then, I would have given my try at it because I didn't, didn't know what to do with you. Um, so I, it wasn't that I thought, education was so wonderful. I just thought there has to be a better way to make learning fun. So that was really my ambition. I also had watched my two older brothers change, change uh, majors and, and kind of waste some time. And I thought, I am not changing my mind. And so there could have been a few times during those first four years of college that a normal person may have, or if I would have been a firstborn, perhaps, I may have changed that major but I didn't because I was so strong-willed that I am not wasting my time in college. I'm going to stay on the track that I'm on. Okay. <laughs> and my mission with, with becoming that teacher, I started out as a middle school classroom in the public school system, was to make learning fun. And that really still resonates with who I am and even my work as a chief learning officer. For adults, Learning there's, there's no reason that learning student shouldn't still and can't still be fun, enjoyable. Yet we know, uh, you know, being a past school board chair and a near high school dropout, that for the most of traditional education, that is not true. Why, why do you think, I mean, as an expert in the field of learning, um, maybe we just take a moment here and just say, you know, why is it that the systems just have refused to change when they know this is true? I don't say that, they're, that they refuse to change. I just think they... They, it's like turning the Titanic around. You know, the, the Titanic, when it crashed, it, it was a slow crash. <laughs> but but it, had they had they been had they had the sonar to turn around, they still may have crashed because it just would have taken so long. And I think that's that's the way I kind of look at our um, education system. Um, they will make changes, but they're not fast. And mm -hmm. I think that just takes time. I think it it takes. Um, some confidence and some courage to face to face 
impending change and face face and, and really using data, using analytics to help make some of those changes. Even though the charted course for us ahead maybe is pretty uncharted and it can be a little frightening, especially to an organization where the responsibilities are, are huge. You know, when you look at raising children in a school system, developing young people to go be successful adults who are the future of our nation, the future of our countries, um, that, those, are, those are high stakes. So I, I don't want to discount the fact that education, academic systems are slow to change and that's a bad thing. Maybe they could be a little bit speedier, but always keeping in the forefront what's at, what's at stake. It's are we turning out exceptional young people that are skilled to take on the problems and challenges of today and tomorrow. So mm -hmm. that was a bit more eloquent than perhaps we needed here, but but you asked. <laughs> you asked. Well, and hey, that's the host is just here to stir it up, Heidi, a little bit, <laughs> and and get us to think about it. Because I mean, I was I didn't feel that I was honored as a learner in high school, and then of course, like you, went on to do my doctorate degree, which I said, well, that's weird because I hated school too from just being mm -hmm. bored. Mm -hmm. uh, and how, you know, it, we're just two people on a podcast. How many more or others are out there yeah. where they are categorized as poor learners, terrible learners, not disciplined, whatever it is, the word is, but really it's the system that has sort of failed the different learning styles or structures and stuff. So enough said about that. So you uh, become a middle school teacher. How long did you continue with that? Yeah, I was a, a middle school and then a high school teacher um, and then took a few years off and, and well, three, uh, and didn't work to raise our kids when they were little people uh, for mm -hmm. a few years, which was very, very fun. Um, I actually started a, a private school for, uh, which back then was, today it's much more common, but it was a blend of homeschool and uh, certified teachers blended together for uh, providing the support that families who were homeschooling needed when it came to having a certified teacher who knew what they were doing to help guide and provide some teaching, but not five days a week. So that was a, an interesting run, and I actually did that primarily to meet the needs of, of our family with, with our kids as I was homeschooling them those couple of years. Um, and then from there, went on to become a principal uh, with K-12. K-12 Inc., which back then was new, a new player on the board uh, and was a principal over the entire state of Idaho. And we opened our doors with 1,200 students in a public charter school where they did schooling at home. And I had 55 teachers in every nook and cranny across the state of Idaho. And it was, it was fun. It was, it was new. It was innovative. And it was meeting the need that certainly existed, and today K-12 is um, very well known across the nation uh, for providing online learning to kids between K, K through 12 grades. Um, Not to date yourself, Heidi, but uh, what years were those that you were you know, I think that was around 2002. Yeah. So when you think about, you know, what's happening now with the online world, and just a lot of virtual things that are going on. And, you know, we were just even talking off air about e-learning courses and all these kinds of things that are now available. Um, how did you have that structured? Was that 
um, online? Did they come in physically or did you? Yeah, it was, all, it was all handled online. So our teachers met uh, back then just by phone. We didn't, didn't do web conferences and internet uh, issues across Idaho at that time were very limited and challenging for mm -hmm. students to access courses online. But I think what, what appealed to me and, and it still does today, and that is that blending the innovation side and the technology aspect of learning. How do we, how do we take the best of what exists and what mm. is at our fingertips today and where we think it's going tomorrow? And even like I said, you know, now I, I, don't, I don't deliver and work about uh, bringing learning to children and students, but to adults. And the same thing, you know, how do we get ahead of the game? How do we have foresight for what's coming? And not just for the sake of bells and whistles in an online learning environment, but how do we really make learning stick and, and mm -hmm. help people do their jobs better? And that's, that's what really gets me excited about my job, gets me excited about uh, the L&D team. I get to build and lead as we develop some really innovative learning experiences to help HR professionals, and not just HR professionals, but uh, professionals uh, across many domains to help them go do their jobs better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. Now, I just want to digress for a second. How did you get recruited to be the principal for Take K-12, Inc.? Uh, I applied. They had, they had a, a job posting that I saw, and I, I think I actually applied to be a lead teacher. I don't think my job was even listed. And then when I flew down to Boise to, to meet with uh, the company, they're like, would you be interested in this? And I was like, indeed I would. <laughs> so it was, it was really a, a match made in heaven. And like I said, loved, loved the challenges and loved the, uh, the fast pace. And, and it's funny how you, know, you kind of find your wheelhouse of what you're good at. And mm. back then, developing a remote team was something that even K-12, you know, they hadn't done much of. They weren't, I wouldn't say they were good at it. And I remember going to corporate in uh, Virginia and saying, here's what I want to do. I want to take an experiment. I want to go and visit every single one of my 55 teachers in their home offices. And they're like, you you could never do that. There's not enough time. I said, let me try. Let me try because I think, I think I'm going to learn some really great things about each of them. And I think I'm going to be able to build this collaborative virtual team that we need. And they're like, good, we could try. And at that time I brought everyone to Boise every month for, a, uh, I think it was like a two day professional development. I'd written a grant and we had a grant for that paid for this. Um, and I, and I pulled this off, like during sep late September, October of that first school year. And when they all came in to this face-to-face -face professional development uh, time in Boise, those who I had met with in their homes all came through the door and gave me a big hug. And everyone else shook my hand, which was fine. But it was funny to me. I was like, wow, the relationship that was built, the care that was mm -hmm. communicated in that short, you know, a couple of hour face-to-face -face meeting meant all the difference. Um, and it, it, it built trust, it built some safety, and built a, a network of collegiality amongst our, our team. And so that, that was early on for me in my career of leading a remote team where today, in fact, I just did a, um, a workshop, a webcast on the seven keys to effectively leading a remote team. And we're now 
building a course on that. You know, what, what are these seven keys that, that aren't so typical, that are kind of those unseen, what I'd call like the secret sauce? <laughs> How do you do mm -hmm. this well? Um, what are some of those things that you're probably not going to read in a textbook, you're probably not going to see, but well, if you don't do these things, it's, it, it can be challenging to lead a team that's really effective and productive when you never meet them face to face. Well, and it's interesting. We've had many conversations over the years as we've interacted and just um, one of the things you're pointing out is you know, regardless of technology or not, it's still about relationships Yes. and about connection. And, um, you know, I have a bias. This is my insert into this interview is that this idea that we will be mostly virtual I still believe that blended is there and in person is just irreplaceable for certain things. Yeah. So what did you, what did you learn when you visited those people that would benefit the audience? You know, let's say, you know, if we think about our audience being entrepreneurs, business owners, and some professionals as well, uh, what were some of the things that you were learning when you're visiting these people that you then sort of took back to the organization? I, would, I think first would be the, to, to self-assess, do you really care? Because, because you can't try to build this, you know, authentic ethic of care if you don't truly care about your people. Mm. So I would ask a leader first, do you care? And if, if you're kind of like, well, kind of, I just care that they produce, um, I, would, I would spend some time reflecting on that and um, having some solid conversations with a mentor to help you come to grips with that first. Uh, if, and if you're listening to this and you're like, well, yeah, I care about my people, then I would say, great, there, there's half the battle right, right there. Then I would say, how are you going to establish that when you can't see people? I mean, today, the idea of I have a, a great team and I love it when we get together via Zoom and I'll, I'll often say, can I just take a screenshot of everybody? And of course, they're like, yeah. And it looks like the Brady Bunch because you know the screen is full of all of these faces, but um, I've got a team member who's in Nigeria, two in the UK, four in the Philippines, two in India, two in Canada, and three across the United, three or four across the United States in every time zone. And there are only two of those individuals I have actually had the pleasure of meeting. Three, three individuals I've had the pleasure of meeting face to face. Everyone else. It's all by Zoom. And so I think today we have to stop and say, what did I learn back then? I learned that taking the time, the time to just pump the brakes and have a personal kind of conversation. You know, who are you really? What do you, where, where do you want to go in your career? How can I help you get there? And sometimes people would, even, even today, I mean, all through my career, when I have that conversation, they look a little hesitant, like, oh gosh, should I tell you where I, where I really want to go? I'm like, yeah, you should tell me because I can help you. I can help support you and get you. And I'll always say the odds of, of you dying in this job are slim to none, let's hope. The odds are you're either one day going to retire, even that is slim to none in this role. Odds are you're going to transition into a different role, maybe a different department in this company, but most likely to a different organization. As our world continues to change and shift and as you develop and become different than who you are in your current skill set and maybe even your passion areas, that's okay. And then there's like, there's this freedom, like, wow, you're going to help me mm -hmm. get where I want to go. I actually have a gal right now, Ken, who she's on my team. I had that conversation and she's, um, she's younger. And, and she said, well, Heidi, to be really honest, 
one day I want your job. I said, that is awesome. I would love, I would love nothing more than to groom you and mentor you. And one day when I retire, wouldn't that be a cool thing for you to step into my job? And I believe that she could do it. So I think those are, what did I learn? I learned that there's no um, substitute for relationship. And like you said, I I totally believe there's no, there's no substitute for face-to-face training or learning or even conversation and relationship building. It's just not today something that we can count on. It's definitely a luxury. Mm -hmm. Well, the other one, of course, is with the international dynamics of your team, you know, getting together physically is going to be a rare, rare occasion, even if it is possible. Right. So I get that. And, you know, when you add video to an interaction, then that certainly improves things as well, uh, for sure. But like you said, you're spending the time to get to know them. So here you are, you're the principal of this K-12 Inc. Uh, what happened after that? Where did you transition and why? Yeah, I actually, I hired a, a business coach at the time. Um, because I was feeling like I was really out of balance between work and life. And I loved my job. So the good news is I've I've been lucky to find work that I really enjoy. The the not-so-good thing about that is when you love, love, love your work and you're a bit of a driven personality to begin with, it can kind of be a recipe for disaster on who you want to be. So the vision I, I had for my life, I, I woke up one day, I was like, wait a second, I'm not the wife I want to be, I'm not the mom, I'm not the daughter, I'm not the friend, What? I'm not who I want to be. Like, i got to figure this out. So and what I, was getting in the way, Heidi, just the enormous amount of responsibilities and, and work effort required? Yeah, yep, and, and, and the fact that I love a challenge. And so I had to kind of re-scope my sights and the new challenge was I want to live life on purpose. I want to live life with extreme intentionality and doesn't mean I don't find work I love. Uh, and fortunately I like my job now, I love my job, but I'm able to temper it. Maybe I'm just getting, uh, you know, a little bit older, a little bit wiser. And uh, I would say a little bit more experienced in knowing my own personal signs of, okay, wait a second. The, the workaholism is creeping in and I've got to put some bookends around my day and be okay to close a lid on my laptop and walk away and go do life without thinking and strategizing about work 24 seven. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. So you hired the coach. What yeah. is the uh, net outcome of that? The, the net outcome of that was I actually uh, sold myself to the coaching company to become a curriculum development manager for them <laughs> because as a, as a uh, price tags for that level of coaching were uh, pretty large. And, and I was, um, I loved the company, loved what loved how my coaching experience helped me with my life and knew that their tools and systems and um, training for their coaches that would equate to equipping coaches and people who are purchasing coaches, coaching could be much better. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I did that, and, uh, and it was a, a fun experience. In fact, my dissertation is on optimal coach training effectiveness. And the reason I went that route for my coaching, uh, my dissertation on coaching, was I realized that if I went down the path of any other topic, and there was another one that I had 
really wanted to do my dissertation on, but I thought if I, if I pursue that, I'm not going to be able to balance work. At the time, our kids were in late elementary and middle school. And I thought, I can't, I'm going to be off, I'm going to be so off the rails on work-life balance. So I had to marry my dissertation topic to my work at hand. And that was a, you know, mm -hmm. I, everything happens for a reason. Um, I, to this day, am uh, certified with the International Coaching Federation and continue to keep that current because I, I really see coaching and the, the skill set required to listen well and to ask great questions is paramount, I believe, to being a great leader. So I, I always want to be at that continual learner and mm -hmm. stay, in that, stay in that seat of being intentional and purposeful in what I'm learning that will help me lead more effectively. Thank you, Heidi. Uh, I, I think we got to know each other through your friend Tim. I'm not 100% sure on my recall. Yes. Uh, but if I recall, you were working with a healthcare company. Yes. So were, they, were they after the business? Yeah, that was after the business uh, coaching. Um, and yeah, you're right. Tim, Tim introduced us, a, a great uh, friend of both of us who is a network networker guy. And said, I remember him saying, you need to meet this guy named Ken Keyes. I'm like, great. <laughs> and I think you were maybe doing a little bit of work with him or uh, – conversations with him and and that's how yeah that's how we first got to know each other and and I actually at, at that time I as a chief learning officer of that organization um, was developing a customized leadership development program for our executive leaders but also our frontline I'd say newer leaders from supervisors to managers anyone that, that had a, a, a leadership role and that's where I really dug into your, your tools and the assessments that you've got and how um, I remember really, really respecting the work that you'd done and the assessments that you have and built a pretty cool uh, leadership development program mm -hmm. using those tools. That's kind of the, the framework for it. Well, thank you for that, and uh, we appreciate getting to know you. I will say, Heidi, that your parents did a great job of of instilling the concept of you know what your mom and your dad had said to you is that's always been my experience with you uh, to be a friend uh, you've always been delightful to interact with and kind and considerate and just um, awesome now I can't say that about everybody you know not just blowing smoke your way but it's actually a true a true statement so thanks for living up to the values that your parents sort of instilled there it's been delightful through it so oh, now you. you you had that situation. I know that the, there were some things that occurred, and you uh, left that leadership role, and then you actually went to work for one of our clients, and yeah. um, and somehow we had lost track because you had moved on to this other role, and then all of a sudden I said, "What? What are, what are you doing there?" <laughs> and yeah. we had been working with them for well, now it's over a decade when we joined this recording. So, oh man, now you're you're commuting into California, going back yeah. and forth. Uh, how did that unfold? Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, just to be to be completely honest, uh, when when the recession hit in '08, um, I was I was laid off, and that that caused you know to me at that time, my husband was like, "Well, you wanted time to write your dissertation. Now you have it." And I was like, well, "Okay, I guess that's one way to look at it." And and took a few months and finished finished that and had really thought 
it's going to be easy peasy. And I had people that would say, oh, it's going to be easy for you to get a job anywhere. You got a PhD in leadership. But at the time, um, you know, we're, we're living in Spokane, Washington. And because of where we live, because of, you know, just our, as, as my husband and I, our, our commitment to raising our kids and not jerking them around school systems. And, and my husband had a job. So it's like, well, I needed to find work right in this little area. And so that was challenging. Um, I think when you're, I remember, remember thinking and, and telling my husband, you know, I can get an awesome job anywhere but here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so sometimes you have those constraints. And again, living our life on purpose is like, no, our kids are more important than, than me chasing what I want to do with, with a career. I remember being on a call and you just like cut me off and said, sorry, the kids' ball game is right now. I got to go. See you later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that's, that's. I didn't take it personally, but I still remember it. Okay. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what's, what's interesting is at that time, then, um, yeah, I, I went to work for a, a consulting company and I commuted from Spokane to Oakland uh, three weeks a month for almost two years because the work was great. I loved what I did. It was super challenging. And um, at that time, you know, our, our kids were, by the time I did that, did that gig, um, I think our oldest was in the end of high school. It was, mm-hmm. so it was, it was a time where we could, we could afford for me to do that. But having, having a, a role where you're flying a couple of hours every Monday and every Thursday, that gets exhausting. And I get it. I commuted yeah. from Vancouver to Detroit for a year, so we we can relate to those. Yeah, it's a little longer flight than Spokane to Oklahoma, yeah. uh, and at different time zone as well. Not that I'm saying mine was harder. Um, <laughs> just being playful. <laughs> so let's dig in a little bit. We we only have a few minutes, like 15 minutes left before before you have a hard stop, and then. You know, our listeners, we want to honor sort of our time that we have sure. on the show. But what were some of the things that you discovered in your dissertation around this whole concept of coaching and why it's important? And what are some of the tidbits or insights you gathered from all this work that um, would apply to anybody that's listening to the show, both, you know, professionally as a coach or, you know, I'm a leader or I'm even, a, you know, as a parent and with kids? So yeah. What are some of the things that you really want to leave with the audience that would be practical applications for them? Sure. I think there's, there's one that comes to mind just like that, just snapping my fingers. It's, and it's learning over time. And I'm, I, 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 I come to that phrase, which sounds kind of like, okay, yeah, learning over time. And I would say learning over time is what sticks, and you can't rush it. Um, when I think about learning whether it's for anyone, for ourselves, for in the, in the education system, in corporate training especially, we want a microwave and we want a fire hose. We just want to like, you know, we want to fire hose people and just get it done, get it over with. And, and you think about that, think about when you have a great storm that, that hits a parched land, what's it leave? It leaves puddles, like it just can't even soak in. It just, and it, it doesn't, effectively water because things will land in puddles compared to a soaker hose. And so you look at a soaker hose and it's just a slow drip. <laughs> and it's like this, when you think about learning over time, when we, we, we develop micro lessons, 
which is no surprise. Most, most entities today are, are big on micro lessons, just in time learning. How can someone search for what they find, mm -hmm. find it, get what they need and go do their job better. So I think we've, we've dialed that system and we have a really great process for building micro lessons. But we also look at longer courses and certification. We're learning over time. If we're really trying to transform behaviors, transform mindsets and habits, it takes time. And even building a course takes time. And I think there's no, there's no substitute for that. And even when we think about the coaching conversation, I will always say, if you're, if you're a great coach, don't expect the light bulbs of greatness to click on suddenly during your coaching session. Mm. You're asking the great and the right powerful questions. The light bulb most likely is going to go on for the individual between coaching sessions as they're processing, as they're thinking over that span of time. Maybe it's every other week you coach or every month you coach once a week, but whatever that cadence is, typically our little light bulb of understanding and aha moment of, you know what I ought to do is that's going to happen in between the coaching conversations. And the same is what I believe to be true inside of a, 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 a course that we build. We'll, we'll disseminate information. Hopefully it's interactive. It's engaging. We're having the learner do something more than just passively sit and listen. And, and yet, if we're priming the pump and we're leaving them with reflective questions to process, maybe an activity to complete that's going to help stir some of the content that we've dumped into the brain, the, they're going to connect the dots between that session and the next mm. experiential session online. Even if it's a self-paced course, we, we should be priming the pump. We should be leaving a learner with, with enough to think on and grapple on and, and have them go, Oh, I get it. You know what I should do? <laughs> so I'm, I'm always listening for people when they say, you know what we ought to do? Or, you know what I ought to do? I'm like, what? Tell me. What, what, do you think, what do you think your next steps are? Because that's when it comes out of their brain, even if you led the horse to water and he drinks, he's going to think it's his own, it was his own idea to drink that water. I don't care. That's great. The horse needs water. The learner needs a light bulb to go on. Um, but but not being ultra directive, but more um, supportive in fostering great great questions and great thinking. Um, people people know and discover. Um, I know for myself when I discover my next steps without some. If someone told me my next steps, I might actually resist it. But when someone prompts with the right questions and primes a pump for me to arrive at what I think are the best next steps. Um, the, the likelihood of me following through just went up exponentially. You, you make a good point, Heidi, and thank you for that around, uh, you know, this, this urgency addiction and immediacy kind of culture when really, in fact, this takes time. And we, my wife plays tennis, and now I'm sort of a tennis fan. And Rafa Nadal, you know, comes to mind as an individual who practices five hours a day, and he's ranked number one in the world, you know, him and uh, Djokovic and Federer. But uh, so here's number one in the world and he's practicing five hours a day. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you go to a two-hour workshop and you're going to be the leader, the gift of leadership. So uh, for sure, that's been our experience too. So how do we fight 
this sort of corporate mindset that's out there. I'm not suggesting it permeates everywhere, but where, okay, Heidi, you've got three hours to make these supervisors leaders. You know, what do, what do you want to say to leaders who are making decisions around leadership around the, the long-term play where he said, well, we invested three hours. It didn't work. Now we're not going to invest anything in training when really it's sort of like, okay, I worked out for 15 minutes. I'm not a marathoner, so I'm just not going to run. You know, that kind of thing. What yeah. would you say to that mindset? Well, I would come back first and say, let's, let's stop. Let's look at who are we as an organization and what, what do we say matters most? And if having effective leaders is something that is one of our values and is on our organization's three to five year big, hairy, audacious goals, and it's also part of our annual objectives, our annual goals, whether you call them objectives and key results, whatever you call them, when I call them, do you know, does everyone know what we as an organization are striving to do? Okay, we know. Let's say one of those things is developing leaders that can change the world. Great. Okay, everything that we're talking about now as far as we've got to develop leaders. That's, part, that's one of our core values as part of our, our goals and objectives. So are we aligned? I, I would start, start there first. I think sometimes organizations will start an initiative, and it may, it may go all right, but if it's not tied to the organization's objectives and goals, it's very easy for it to fall by the wayside for any number of reasons and have people think, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, we'll, we'll come back to that. Well, wait. If it's one of our objectives, it's one of our annual goals, we can't just come back to it. We will have failed as an organization. So I would come back first and say, are we aligned? Are we clear on where we're going? And is everything that we're, that's, that's in our purview of what we're responsible for and accountable for, is it aligned to one of those objectives of our organization? If it is, then I would say, oh, let's, let's look at what does good look like? What's our vision when all is working well? What's that vision? What's that story? What's it going to be like in our organization when all of our leaders are high achieving, highly effective? What will our culture be like? What will our business be like? How will that translate to metrics and growth and, and uh, financial productivity? I think when, when, when we slow up and have that as part of the conversation, it then allows us to move into a tactical, like there's our strategy of, okay, this is, a, this is where we're headed and here's how some big aspects of how we're going to get there. Then we can look at, okay, what are the brass tacks of how we're going to make this happen? Mm -hmm. And Ken, I think it's, it's similar with if someone came to you and said, hey, we, I, I want to I have a house built. And you're talking to your builder and you ask the builder, well, how long is it going to take to build a 2,000 square foot house? The answer is always going to be, well, gosh, it really depends on a lot of things. Do you, do you have blueprints that are solid or are we, are we still in the architectural phase? Do you know what your square foot price point is? Do you want marble, granite, stone? Are we doing wood floors? Are we doing laminate? What do you want? You know, there, there's so many things that go into just the, what it's going to be. But if a, a good builder is also going to be thinking, are my, is my, are my subcontractors ready? Do I have the right plumber? And is he, already out six months or can I get them when I think we're going to be ready for them? Or am I going to lose out on my electrician and have to go with a, a sub, you know, subpar 
electrician because of the timeline. They're, they're considering all these things. So I think when it comes to a leadership development program, to stop and say the same thing. Hey, Heidi, how quickly could you build us a leadership development program? How quickly could you, could you get these X number of leaders to be highly efficient and productive? Well, it really depends on a lot of things. <laughs> and, and so I, I hate that We've answer. We've all got that question where somebody says, what are you offering? And so yeah. and if I get that too, and I say, whoa, 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 hang on. Well, what do you want? And yeah. um, a lot of times people just, they actually get the questions reversed with mm-hmm. it. So, you know, I get that, just the importance of the long play and how important it is. Now, yeah. Heidi, I'm aware of the time and that we're limited on what we have left. So um, with that, uh, Heidi, first of all, you work with, as the chief learning officer with HR.com, uh, now, this probably we play to some of the HR.com audience, but uh, uh, what's the vision of HR.com? And, uh, of course, I know the founder, Debbie. And so what's, what's really, what is your goal as an organization yeah. for what you're trying to achieve there for HR professionals around the world? No, that's a great question, and and you're right. Uh, Debbie McGrath, our CEO, is very visionary, and while we may have 1.75 million HR professionals that belong to HR.com, that's a drop in the bucket for where we're going, and and not and it's not it's not about a number. It's not about you know we're just amassing this this great number of members. It's about the desire and the vision to impact and transform the workplace to um, not just make HR professionals smarter, but to maximize human potential. And when we talk about maximizing human potential, we're talking about every facet of, of organizations that are impacted by all the functional areas of human resources. And to me, that's, that's exciting. It, it impacts the quality. It impacts us um, leveraging technology and opportunities to look at how can we bring great training, great research, great education um, offerings, and great experiences to people across the globe that will definitely inspire workforces everywhere. Well, one of the things that, and I know, Heidi, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, but a lot of times HR has been seen or the mindset is is playing not to lose rather than playing to win. And... um, I know that that's not where Debbie and I don't know that's where you are at is that, you know, what does it mean if you are a professional, a leader in any context to be able to go to the next level, but then also to to take some other people with you, if you know what I mean by that. So I appreciate that effort there. Now we only have two minutes left. Heidi, with, uh, if people want to get a hold of you or find yeah. out more about HR.com, where do they, what's the, what's the story there? It's a, it's a pretty good company name, isn't it? Just go to HR.com to learn more about HR.com. So that's, that's easy. Uh, and my email address is simply hscott, H-S-C-O-T-T, at HR.com. So it's got at HR.com. Well, I, I would love to hear from folks if they've got questions or thoughts or who knows and what. An e-learning uh, expert and an expert on developing HR. And if you're an HR professional, then you need to be part of their group. So Heidi, with that, what's the last piece of wisdom that you want to share with the audience as we depart to really think about, you know, taking myself to the next level? What would you encourage me to think about as we close this in- interview? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Ken. I would say, who do you want to become? And not less about where do you want to go, but who do you want to become? 
when it comes to skill set, values, maybe you want to become a better parent. Maybe you want to become a, a CHRO. Maybe you want to become, uh, again, the sky is a limit, but I think spending time on that, especially in today's day and age where we have a lot of chaos going on, a lot of reorganization of, of companies and structures and how we do business, to not allow yourself to be lost in the shuffle of who, who are you and who do you want to be. And I think that's mm -hmm. really important. Who do you want to be today? Who do you want to be tomorrow? And then, you know, coming into that kind of re-engineering that and saying, okay, what are the steps that you've got to be taking today to have any shot at all of that becoming a reality? So I guess it's really that visionary question of who do you want to be and mm -hmm. uh, staying true to that. Well, so. of course, you know, that's where we fit here at CRG as well. So thank you, Dr. Heidi, for hanging out with us today. Oh, it was my pleasure. I wish we had more time. This was very, very fun. And you're uh, a, great, a great colleague, and uh, I appreciate all that you've done, and I look forward to our continued work together. Uh, ditto, ditto, and ditto, and thank you, and all of those in the mix of that, as you're always complimentary. So thank you, Heidi, for that. So Secrets of Success listeners, you've been listening to Dr. Heidi Scott, Chief Learning Officer at HR.com. Find out more, go to the site, find out the things that they have to offer. But one of the things that Heidi really was emphasizing right at the end, but also in the beginning, is that, you know, be your own person, take responsibility for the things that you do, uh, where you're going there is learning that is exciting and so it doesn't have to be boring and the reality is is that we're not going to get where we need to unless we do learn so thank you as always for listening if you like what we're doing please pass it on share it let somebody else know on whatever platform you're listening on thank you for listening i'm your host dr ken keys Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.